0: You're listening to a City on a Hill podcast. We'd love you to use and share this podcast, but please refrain from editing the content without permission from City on a Hill. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au.
1: Nehemiah chapter 8 And all the people gathered as one man into the square before the water gate. and the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. And Ezra the scribe stood on a wooden platform that they had made for the purpose. And beside him stood Mattathiah, Shema, Aniah, Uriah, Hikayah, Maesiah on his right hand, and Pedaiah, Meshael, Malkijah, Hashem, Hashbadana, Zechariah and Meshulam on his left. And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, and he was above all the people, and as he opened it all the people stood, and Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered, Amen, Amen, lifting up their hands. And they bowed their heads and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. And Jeshua, Banai, Sherebiah, Jamin, Akub, Shabbatai, Hadiah, Maasiah, Kalita, Azariah, Josabad, Hanan, Peliah, the Levites helped the people to understand the law while the people remained in their places. They read from the book, from the law of God, clearly, and they gave the sense so that the people understood the reading.
2: Now you know why I did the second half of the reading. And do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. So the Levites calmed all the people, saying, Be quiet, for this day is holy. Do not be grieved. And all the people went their way to eat and drink and to send portions and to make great rejoicing, because they had understood the words that were declared to them. On the second day, the heads of fathers' houses of all the people with the priests and the Levites, came together to Ezra, the scribe, in order to study the words of the law. And they found it written in the law that the Lord had commanded by Moses that the people of Israel should dwell in booths during the feast of the seventh month, and that they should proclaim it and publish it in all their towns and in Jerusalem. Go out to the hills and bring branches of olive Wild olive, myrtle, palm, and other leafy trees to make booths as it is written. So the people went out and brought them and made booths for themselves, each on his roof, and in their courts, and in the courts of the house of God, and in the square at the water gate, and in the square at the gate of Ephraim. And all the assembly of those who had returned from the captivity made booths, and lived in the booths. For from the days of Jeshua, the son of Nun, to that day, the people of Israel had not done so. And there was very great rejoicing. And day by day, from the first day to the last day, he read from the book of the law of God. They kept the feast seven days, and on the eighth day there was a solemn assembly, according to the rule Amen.
0: Amen. Amen. Thank you, guys. Thank you for reading so clearly and helpfully. Well, good morning. My name is Mike. Uh, it's, I'm one of the pastors here at City on Hill Brisbane. Um, before we start, um, just a couple of quick things. Um, as, as Alana's mentioned, as um, Andrew and Heather have shared their excitement, church camp is two weeks away, so there'll be no church here uh, in two weeks' time. Uh, you can still come for the day. We've got over 260 people coming, which is incredible. Um, Just a couple of things. Um, We want to be wise. Uh, We don't want um, church camp to be a COVID outbreak. Uh, So can I encourage everyone um, to to try to take a rat test before coming? Um, That'll be really helpful. Um, If you've got kind of spare rats um, that you're able to bring along, maybe you've got some from school or something like that, if you could bring them along as well, that'd be really helpful so that we can just sort of be wise uh, with uh, caring for everyone on camp. Um, Second thing... um, Uh, Sit on a Hill, the baby boom continues. Um, James and Suzette Moran uh, had uh, late, uh, I think yesterday it was, um, baby boy Henley. um, So that's really exciting. Round of applause for them. They're not here, but round of applause. (laughs) Praise God. Uh, and last thing, um, many of you know, at uh, City on a Hill, we've uh, adopted uh, the Japanese people as an unreached people group to, to pray for, um, to uh, see what we can do to be on mission to uh, locally and, uh, and abroad. Uh, and sadly, you might have seen the news that their prime minister, uh, Shinzo Abe, was shot to death tragically on Friday during a campaign speech. Um, And he was promised for eight years, Uh, I'm going to pray for the nation of Japan um, as well, and I'm going to pray for us. But let's be praying um, that God um, might turn this tragedy into triumph. Um, Join with me as we pray, and then we'll get into the word. Dear Heavenly Father, your word says that the Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. Thank you that you are the God of comfort. We do bring before you the nation of Japan who are mourning right now. We do ask that you would bring about a sense of your peace to those who are hurting. We pray that through this, people would realize the brevity of life and the brokenness of this world and turn to you. Have mercy on the people of Japan. Give them wisdom as they seek to appoint a new prime minister. And I do pray for the Christians in Japan. Would they be able to live quiet and peaceful lives, as your word says, but would they also be salt and light uh, to people in Japan? And would they point them to the hope that they have beyond the grave? Lord, we pray for us now. We do thank you for your word. We do thank you that you speak to us through it. Be with me as I preach. Would I be faithful and helpful? And would you be with us? Would you give us ears that understand and eyes to see and minds that comprehend and hearts to receive and hands that are ready to be changed. We pray all of this in the name of Jesus, our resurrected, ruling and returning King. And all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. Well, I wonder what the, the best celebratory party you've ever been to. What's the, what's the party that you're a member just celebrating. What was the, the greatest feast that you can remember having with friends? Uh, for me, uh, clear standout uh, was about seven years ago. I went to, to Poland for my cousin's wedding. Uh, and the Poles, they know how to party. And uh, it, was, it wasn't just, a, you know lame one-day wedding. Went over kind of a couple of days, and it was a, a long uh, summer's night, uh, the sun you know, setting at like 8, 9 p.m. or something like that. We, we got to uh, the place where the reception was. There was this beautiful banquet uh, table just lined up with food. On top of that, there was uh, like a fondue table, a meat table, cured meats, uh, of course, a vodka table. And, um, and then on top of that, they brought out the, the, the entree and then the main, and then the dessert. And between each course, there was dancing. And it wasn't just kind of like Aussie dancing, where you sort of have a quarter of people in a circle. Everyone got up to dance, and they sung, and there was a band. And just between each meal, everyone just got up. Whether you were seven or 75, everyone got up to dance. And then, uh, and then at midnight, there was kind of a bit of a break. They played some games, and then they proceeded to do a second round of entree, main, and dessert. Like at 4 a.m., literally 4 a.m. on the dance floor, there was like literally a seven-year-old girl and a, and a man well into his 70s, still partying all night. And then at 5, everyone kind of went to bed. A bunch of people got up for church the next morning. And then at about 10, the round two kicked off again. The same band came back down. We we ate. We had some more vodka, all that stuff. And it was just a, a incredible uh, days of celebration. Well, this morning, uh, we're going to look at a feast which is a beautiful, incredible feast full of joy. And yet, it's going to point towards an even greater feast that is on offer for us. Uh, The context, well, as part of our Rebuild series, uh, if you've been with us, uh, we've seen that God has been doing his great rebuild project. The people of God are back, now back in the city that's been destroyed by the Babylonians. They're finally back. The temple, uh, where the presence of God, the center of worship, has been rebuilt. The city walls have finally been built, uh, despite all the opposition, both from inside and outside the church. And over the last couple of weeks, uh, we've been reminded for us as well that we are living, too, in a spiritual battle. And our weapon is the Word of God. This is our sword. And today we're going to see the transforming power of the sword, of the Word of God that should cause our hearts to rejoice. The Bible, this is how God speaks to us. This is how we know God. As 2 Timothy 3, 16, 17 says, that all Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction... And for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be equipped, complete, equipped for every good work. The Bible is God's word. Breathe out. This is how he speaks to us. These words are his words. And we're going to see this morning three things about the word for people in Nehemiah's day that are still true for us. Firstly, we're going to see that the word needs to be understood with our heads. The word of God needs to be understood with our heads. I don't know about you, but I've seen uh, so many times um, memes, people digging into Christians saying, to be a Christian, to rock up the church, you need to leave your brain at the door. I don't know, has anyone seen anything like that before? A couple of nods, yeah. No, friends, it's the exact opposite. We need our brains. In fact, God calls us to use our brains as we try to understand Him through His Word. Uh, so we're gonna this morning, we're going to go through uh, chapter 8, sort of a couple of verses at a time. So come with me. Uh, keep your Bibles open. Um, if you don't have a Bible, the words will be up on the screen now, but we'd love to give you one. Come see the guys at the info desk. We'd love to help you read it. Uh, come to, with me to Nehemiah chapter 8. Let's go from verse... One and all the people gathered as one man into the square before the water gate, and they told Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses that the Lord had commanded Israel. So it's been about four days since the city walls have been finished. The people are coming into uh, the, the city square, sort of like King George Square, kind of everyone's sort of gathering around, and as we see. Um, a man. We meet a man who we haven't seen throughout the book of Nehemiah, but we of course saw him in Ezra. His name is Ezra. Remember him? He's a scribe. He's a religious guy. He's a guy who studied uh, God's word. Back in um, in Ezra 7.10, we we see him described as he has set his heart to study the law of the Lord and to do it and to teach his statutes and rules in Israel. Uh, He's been given a rite of passage to come from Babylon into the city and actually teach God's law. He's been blessed actually by the Persian emperor to do that and ordained by God as well. And now, finally, we see he's got the opportunity to, to really do that. Uh, but the people of God, they've been lacking the word. They've been maybe you know, going through the motions of their walk with God. I don't know if that, that sounds familiar. You sort of go through the motions. Uh, maybe uh, you, know, you rock up to church each week, a, a season of life where you maybe haven't really been on about this. Let's keep reading, Uh, verse 2. So Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, both men and women, and all who could understand what they heard on the first day of the seventh month. So Ezra the priest, the Bible teacher, he brings the book before everyone, the men and the women, and also all those who could understand I take it that means children as well, children who, are, who should be taught and, and spiritually nurtured and fed to, um, to understand who God is, um, along with their parents, to see what God has done. Uh, if you were with us last week, how good was it having kids in last week? Yeah, I enjoyed it. It was so good having kids, so good Lisa, um, kind of leading us through that time. Love that kids um, and adults are sort of engaging in God's Word together. And I love that each week uh, we have... The next three cinemas booked out for, for kids programs. Two of, my, two, two of my girls, my two girls are in there uh, right now. I love, um, a few weeks ago, uh, I remember chatting to my three-year-old and I asked her, hey, what did you learn at City Kids today? And she, she says, daddy, the Holy Spirit's inside me. I'm like, amen, preach it, sister. Yeah, he is. Love what, what's going on uh, right there in our next generation ministry. So thankful for uh, the teachers, the, the leaders there that serve there. Um, But notice as well, it's the seventh month. Now, what's that about? What's going on? Well, in the Jewish uh, calendar, that was sort of the equivalent of New Year's Day. Uh, It was a special time because the Jews, they celebrated a, a few things, the Feast of Trumpets on the first day, the Day of the Atonement on the 10th day, and we'll see the Feast of Tabernacles or booths or tents. Uh, we'll kind of get to that in a little bit on the 20, from the 15th to the 21st day. So this month, it was really uh, a month of, of celebration, a month of festivals, a month of uh, opportunity to, to get right with the Lord and, and make a new start, um, like we try to do on New Year's Day. <laughs> um, keep reading verse 3. And As he is, Ezra, as he read from it, facing the square before the water gate from early morning until midday, in the presence of the men and the women and those who could understand, and the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. So, in the city square, Ezra, he's reading the word for perhaps six hours from early morning until noon. Men, women, and children are there. How are people feeling? You know, we sort of complain about when the sermon goes a bit too long. 30 minutes, that's too long. Six hours. Six hours. And they were standing the whole time. Here in Nehemiah, how were they feeling? They were attentive. Their ears were attentive to the Word of God. They were hungry for it, craving it, eager to soak up the deep truths of God. I heard a story uh, this week of, um, of a lady who um, grew up in Uganda, and where they would come to church, and they would stand for four hours, and she'd walk an hour just to get to church. And, um, and then she moves to America. Uh, she's there for a, a few years, and, and does church probably a bit like how we do it, an um, hour and a half at tops, and um, you know, you're sitting in maybe not as comfy seats as you guys, but you know, sitting in seats, and, uh, and then she goes back to Uganda, and then goes back to church, and then After 20 minutes, she's like, man, I'm sore. Uh, Going to America, doing church like how they did it, she got a bit kind of comfortable, even a bit lazy, she sort of said. For us, how how have we gone a bit soft? Have we perhaps gotten a little bit spiritually comfortable or even spiritually flabby? Or are we attentive, eager to soak up the truths of God's Word? This week, there was an article on the Gospel Coalition Australia website, arguing about why we need to have shorter sermons. And in response to that, there was another article by another pastor, Andrew Hurd, who wrote a counter-article saying for some of, that some of us, church is the only time where we actually engage with the Word of God. And he says this, he says, I fear that in a culture of distracted Christians, jaded with their minds on other things, they want to get back to their busy lives. They want efficiency. So now we measure success by how easy it is to sit through a sermon. Or wouldn't we rather be striving for a culture of listening for longer? And after all, this is the very Word of God. The Word of God. What attitude do we have when we turn up to church on Sunday morning? Or when we turn up to our gospel community. Or perhaps when we read the word for ourselves, if we are at all. Are we on about efficiency, just, you know, ticking the box, getting it done? Or are we attentive, eager to soak up the truths? Do we, as the psalmist says in Psalm 63, have a soul that thirsts for God? Let's keep reading in verse 5. And Ezra Opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was above all the people. And as he opened it, all the people stood. And Ezra the scribe stood on a wooden platform that made for the purpose, and beside him stood Mattathiah, Shema, Ananiah, Uriah, Hilkiah, Messiah on his right hand, and Padiah, Mishael, Malchiah, Hashem, Habananiah, Zechariah, and Meshulam on his left hand. And as Ezra opened the book, it was in the sight of all the people, for he was above all the people, and as he opened it, all the people stood. Sorry, I got those verses mixed down. Um, all those Hebrew names, they confuse me. Um, now, Ezra, he stands up on the wooden platform, you know, like a pulpit, if you like, and Specifically, for that moment to read the word that it 's purpose built now he 's up high, not because he 's better or he's lording over the people, but just so that people could hear him. This is a time before you know speakers and acoustics and all that all that kind of stuff acoustics were they were in, but before um, before you know microphones, and so he got up so that everyone in the city square can see him and and notice um. What happens? How do people respond? Verse 6 Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered, Amen, Amen, lifting up their hands. And they bowed their heads and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Ezra praises the Lord. People respond, Amen, Amen, which just means, Yes, I agree, truth. And they lift up their hands and bow their heads to the ground. Those postures reflect their heart. They lift up their hands, recognizing that God is bigger and mightier and holier than they are. And yet, they come down on the floor, recognizing their own posture before God. Who are we to be in the presence of God? And as Ezra reads the law, these people with these these weird Hebrew names will see their role. In verse 7, I'll keep reading. Jeshua, Bani, Sherebiah, Jamin, Aqab... Shabbatha, Hodiah, Messiah, Kalitha, Azariah, Jozebat, Hanan, Peliah, these men and the Levites, they helped people understand the law while the people remained in their places. They read from the book, from the law of God, clearly, and gave the sense that the people could understand the reading. So there's 13 blokes there, and they're there to, to help the crowd understand. Uh, we see the, the, the crowd, they remain in their place. And, and what's going on? These 13 guys are just going through the crowd to make sure that people are, are following, to make sure that people are understanding. As Ezra's uh, reading the Word and teaching, these guys are just helping people, making sure that they're following along. See, it's not good enough just to, to read the Word. Reading the Bible isn't kind of this magic spell that once we say it, things just happen. We, we actually need to understand it. It's like uh, any other document on one level, uh, we need to use the, the, the normal things that God gives us, our comprehension skills, looking at, at grammar, at context, at genre, all that stuff that we often do intuitively when we read other books or other documents. But sometimes we might have to work a little bit harder with the Bible. Uh, why? Because it was written in a context so long ago that's often quite different to our culture today. And so we use our minds... But at the same time we 're not alone. We, we have the Holy Spirit inside of us if we 're followers of jesus he 's like our, our traveling companion that helping us understand god 's word. Um, What's, who's the Holy Spirit? Um, well, the New City Catechism. I don't know if you've heard of that, the New City Catechism. It's a great, uh, a, a great tool. Uh, there's a website, there's an app for it, which basically just summarizes the Christian faith in 52 questions. Um, and this is what the New City Catechism says about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit convicts us of our sin, comforts us, guides us, and gives us spiritual gifts and the desire to obey God. And He, not it, it's not a force, He Enables us to pray and understand God's word. Jesus, when he leaves his disciples, he says, I'll go, but I'll send one like me. I'll send one who'll teach you all things. That's the Holy Spirit. And as we work, as we work hard to read it clearly and to teach the Bible, the Spirit, he helps us to understand it. Um, thankful again for the Baileys for reading it clearly. Uh, we do that so that. You guys can understand that we we often have Bible reading videos, uh, not so we can kind of use the screen or whatever, but so we do them, we edit them, we retake them if we need to so that they can be clear uh, Bible reading so that we can all understand the Word. My old pastor used to say that the Bible reading is actually the most important part of the church service. The most important part of church service is the Bible reading because that's when God speaks to us. Do you realize that that God is actually, has actually spoken to you? The Bible it was written to be read out loud. You know it's only a very relatively recent thing uh, that humans have been reading the Bible like this. you know silently. throughout church history uh, and even before then, the, the Jews they, they would read out loud, and often people would be there. In, that, in the presence of them, uh, most people couldn't read or write. And so it was only a select few that would read for others. Let's be reading this out loud. That's how it was intended. Families, read the Bibles with, out loud with your kids. Husbands, read it with your wives. Let's read it with our friends. And notice that these teachers are there to help people understand. I see on a hill. We don't want to just throw information at you. We want to see comprehension and transformation. And I love it, and I hope you feel this way too. That we're a safe space to ask questions. I love it when I'm here or when I'm part of conversations about the sermon, about the Word of God after coffee after church. You know, if today you're confused about this stuff. Ask someone. You can ask me, but if you don't ask me, you can say, hey, what was Mike talking about? That really went over my head. I encourage you to do that. And sure, there's many people here that would love to help you out. That's why we have gospel communities, so that we can get together throughout the week and, and wrestle with this and understand it. If you're not in a gospel community, we'd love you to be part, part of one. Come chat to me or uh, the team at the InfoDesk afterwards. In the New Testament, the Apostle Paul, Colossians 3.16 says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. I'm thankful for um, many people uh, who have taught me the word over the years. I'm thankful for, these are some names, people that you probably wouldn't know, people like Matt Hazelwood, Rowan Kemp, Toby Neal, Andrew Heard, Gary Miller, I'm thankful for many others, um, authors like John Piper, Tim Keller, John Stott, J. R. Packer, Don Carson. I could keep going on and on. I'm thankful for the privilege it was for me personally to, to go to Bible college, to be able to soak up the truths of God's Word for a few years. But this role of teaching, it's not just for people like me. It, it comes from you guys, uh, to be able to walk around each other and help make sure that we understand. You know, we don't want to be like a bad bushwalk where we kind of leave people behind. We want to be there, like even with the kind of the slowest member of the pack, kind of making sure that they understand what's going on. Jesus, for us today, Jesus is the Word become flesh. We can know Jesus through His Word. This is how He's revealed to us. Reveal Himself to us. In Hebrews 1.1, 1, 1, the writer of Hebrews says this, that long ago, uh, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days, He's spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed the heir of all things, through whom He also created the world. Through Jesus, we can understand God. And we can only understand this if we know Jesus, if we have a relationship with Him. Do you know him? Do you know Jesus? He will help you understand the word. He will help you understand God. He will help you understand yourself in light of eternity, in light of the universe. So firstly, we have seen that the word of God needs to be understood with our heads. Uh, and as classically as I, as I think I've been doing recently, first point, our longest point, so we're going to move through a little quicker now. Secondly, The word of joy, so the word brings joy to our hearts. The word brings joy to our hearts. Understanding the word should lead to joy. Uh, At City on a Hill, uh, perhaps we're known for a church that teaches the Bible. I ask many of you, uh, why do you come or why do you stay? And often your response is, because we're on about teaching the Bible. Now, that's a good thing. Let's keep being on about that. But we don't want to be the... The Tin Man Church. You know, from The Wizard of Oz, what does the Tin Man lack? Question for you guys. A heart, that's right. We don't want to be a church that lacks heart. We want to, what would it look like if we were a church that was known for our joy? Here we see in Nehemiah that understanding the word, it leads to joy, though not necessarily straight away. Have a look at how the people respond in Verse 9. And Nehemiah, who was the governor, and Ezra the priest and scribe, and the Levites who taught the people, said to all the people, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For the people wept as they heard the words of the law. Why do they weep? Well, the word, it leads to conviction. By understanding the word, people became more and more aware of their own shortcomings, of their own failings, of their own disobedience towards God, their own sin, as the Bible describes it. There's a sadness, a sorrow before a holy, mighty God when we realize what we've done and what we've, where we've stuffed up. Have a look at how Hebrews describes this piercing effect of the word. Hebrews 4.12 says, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him whom we must give account naked and exposed. It's like that dream that we've all had where we're naked in a public place. We don't want that to happen in real life. But the Word of God, it pierces us, it exposes us. And here we see that happen for the people in Nehemiah's day. They were not being obedient. They'd neglected the law and so this great moment of guilt had come before them. I remember once when I first understood my own sin, I had this moment where I I cried in in our bathroom for over an hour. I just felt so guilty how I'd stuffed up before God. But I'd only half understood the gospel. My response then was to try harder. But if we understand the word, it should convict us of sin, but then bring us to a place of joy. Joy. Ezra comforts them. He says, don't be grieved. But more than that, more than just don't be sad, have a look at the gracious vision that he lays out for them in verse 10. He says, Then he said to them, Go your way, eat the fat and drink sweet wine, and send portions to anyone who has nothing ready. For this day is holy to our Lord. And do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength." So the Levites calmed all the people, saying, Be quiet, for this day is holy. Do not be grieved. Let the joy of the Lord be our strength. What's the picture of joy in the Lord? Is it, you know, some fluffy, vague spiritual vibe? Is it this picture of self righteousness? Is it trying to suck it up when life's hard? No. The picture of joy is to celebrate now, and they have a party. They, they celebrate. They eat the best food, the best wine. They enjoy the good things that God has given them. This is part of the festival that God's commanded them. And notice there's also a generosity, uh, an abundance. They go and give to those who have Nothing. Uh, if we've been tracking with Nehemiah, remember back in chapters 5 and 6, uh, we see there was a problem an internal battle that the, the leaders were lording it over, taking advantage of people. And here we see the Word of God convicting and people move to generosity. Uh, there's a blessing uh, providing to those who have nothing. For us today, uh, we enjoy the Lord when we enjoy good gifts that God has given us. In 1 Timothy 4 4, uh, we read that everything created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected if we receive it with thanksgiving. You know, the Bible is full of rules, people say, like this one go and enjoy good things. How dare God command us to enjoy good things? The Word encourages us, it commands us to enjoy good things that God has given us. This is how we enjoy time with God. A good meal, time with friends, a holiday down the coast, a climb up Mount Barney, listening to good music, marriage, even thanking God for sex. It's a good gift from God. Let's enjoy it and thank Him for it. And we can enjoy God in His Word itself. This is a joy. Have a look at how... Uh, The psalmist, Psalm 118, describes the Word of God. How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Has the Word of God become bitter, sour, dull to you? What modes are you using to consume God's Word? Maybe we need to mix things up a little bit. Maybe we need to get back to reading it out loud with others reminding us of what God has done before we go and read it. Maybe it's singing it. There's some great artists like Sons of Korah, Shane Shane and Shane, even Colin Buchanan who helps us read the Word and sing the Word out loud. Friends, let's be praying for our hearts as we engage with the Word. But friends, uh, enjoying good gifts now are good, and yet it's such a glimpse of what is to come. Let's long for eternity. Let's. This is what God. This is what God is preparing for us. These things should make our hearts glad. Have a look at what the Jews and, and, and us in, um, have promised in the future. This comes from Isaiah. Uh, this text uh, was written just before, like a couple a couple hundred years before the people in Nehemiah. They would have had access to this. This is the hope that they had of the future and the hope for us too as well. Isaiah twenty five. Verse 6 says this that on this mountain the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food, a feast of well aged wine, of rich food full of marrow, of aged wine well refined. You know, the new city, no longer Mount Zion where Jerusalem is, but a new mountain. God is preparing a banquet for us. This is a picture of heaven. The best food. The best wine and marrow. I remember a few years ago before our kids, Sarah and I were driving up um, to Brisbane, um, maybe we'd stopped at Coffs on the way from Sydney, and we treated ourselves to a kind of fancy lunch around Byron Bay, and uh, I was eating this kind of this beef thing, and, and there, was, there was a bone that left on the plate, and Sarah's like, no, no, that's the best bit. There's some marrow in it. You've got to enjoy the marrow, and Sarah's sucking away there and enjoying it, having a good time. Um, sorry if you're vegan. That probably offended you, that image, but there'll be something in heaven for you too, I'm sure. But the hope here, it's for everyone. Keep reading in verse 7 of Isaiah 25. And he will swallow up on this mountain the covering that is cast over all peoples, the veil that is spread over all nations. What will God swallow? He will swallow up death forever. And the Lord God will wipe away the tears from all faces And the reproach of his people, he will take away from all the earth. For the Lord has spoken. It will be said on that day, behold, this is our God. For we have waited for him that he might save us. This is the Lord that we have waited for him. Let us be glad and rejoice in his salvation. Let's understand the word. Let's understand the joy that we have for us. This is sensitive for all of us. Death's a reality we all have to face. For me personally, I I lost my uncle on Friday night quite unexpectedly. You know, Monday he was doing push-ups. Friday night he was gone. Death sucks. Friends, here's some good news. God will swallow up death forever. No more tears of sadness like these ones. I was chopping onions before. When we... Get a promise of good news to come, though. What do we do with it? What happens when we get good news? Do we wait to, to feel happy? No, we celebrate now when we receive it. When we get offered a job, a promotion, we celebrate before we start it. We get into that uni course we were longing for. We, we get down on a knee and propose. They say, yes, we haven't been married yet. We rejoice. We throw a party. If you find out you're having a baby, you know, even though the next few months are going to be hard, you celebrate. Sitting on a hill, there's good news for us that the Word of God reveals. Let's be people of joy. So, we've seen firstly, the Word of God needs to be understood with our heads, it brings joy to our hearts. And lastly, it calls for obedience with our hands. If we genuinely understand the gospel as revealed in the Word, it should transform, bring joy to our hearts, but the Word should bring forth obedience with our hands. Warren Wisby says this, that to the believer without joy, the will of God is punishment. But to the believer happy in the Lord, the will of God is nourishment. Is the word of God punishment or nourishment for you? Let's keep reading through Nehemiah, verse 13 and 14. On the second day... Of the heads, so, second day, the heads of the fathers of all houses of all the people with the priests and the Levites came together to Ezra to describe in order to study the words of the law. And they found it written in the law of the Lord and commanded by Moses the people of Israel should dwell in booths during the feast of the seventh month. The people they realized they have a problem. They'd studied the word and they realized they'd been lacking in something, they'd neglected this festival of booths. Booths is a kind of weird word. I think like a pop-up market, if you like, a pop-up festival, pop-up tents. Uh, they've been lacking the, doing these things. Um, what, what happened was about well, living in booths for a week. It reminded them um, that their success in the promised land was wholly on the account of the Lord's grace. God had rescued them out of Egypt. God had provided for them food in the wilderness. And God could easily just take that away from them. It was to remind them of what God had done, but also uh, pointing to the future about what God will provide, as we've read about in Isaiah. But also, right now, they were to enjoy a feast in these booths, in these pop-up tents, enjoy good things like meat and sweet wine um, as, as a celebration of what, how God was providing for them. We see in verse 17 that they hadn't done this festival properly since Joshua's day. And so the people uh, were returning to how God had commanded them back um, in Deuteronomy. For us today, we we take communion, we did it last week, uh, and we baptize each other to remind about what God has done visually. Uh, It's a celebration uh, to remind us of what God has done, but also to look forward about what God will do. But there's a deeper principle here about obedience according to the rule we see. Uh, they went in great detail to get all the wood uh, and supplies. Have, have a read in verse 15, uh, Go out to the hills and bring branches of olive, wild olive, myrtle, palm, and other leafy trees to make booths, as is written. So in response, the people are obedient. Verse 16, The people went out and brought them and made booths themselves, each on his own roof and in their courts, and in the courts of the house of God, and in the square of the water gate, and in the square, uh, Sorry, and in the gate of Ephraim. And all the assembly of those who returned from the captivity made booths and lived in their booths from the days of Jeshua, the son of Nun, so that that, that, to that day the people of Israel had not done so. They weren't keeping these festivals. So how did the people respond? There was great rejoicing. For us, as we study the word, it should lead to obedience, not out of duty, but out of delight, out of joy. We don't do this stuff because we have to, because it helps us get to heaven. No, we do it to serve Him. We do it because we know that God has come down to us, that God is on our team, that God's our Father, that we can have access to Him. The creator of the universe, the reconciler of the human race is with us. And so we get to be part of His mission of knowing Jesus and making Jesus known. Friends, for us, do we... Do we know the Word? Do we have a desire to, to know it so that we can be obedient, so that we can be equipped for every good work, as 2 Timothy says? Now, we're about to enter a tricky series in a few weeks' time, Left and left and right. Left, that's the other. left and right, there we go, um, we're going to be wrestling uh, with some spicy topics, yeah? Transgender, pro-life, pro-choice, uh, you know, pray for me, pray for Zach, pray for Stephen, uh, as we'll be preaching, um, engaging with the Word on these tricky topics. But if your hope is for us to give you the right answers, friends, you're going to be disappointed. We need to be wrestling with these things. Um, it's going to be complex, but we've got a community to do that together. We hope to be helpful for you. I'm, I'm thankful that I'm going to Melbourne in a couple weeks' time. There's a bunch of people from Sierra Hill across the movement who are going to dig t- together in these topics to help me, help us, help you. Um, but friends, we need to be working hard with this together to be, how to be knowing how we respond to our culture. We need to be knowing God for ourselves. We need to know what it looks like to be obedient even when it's costly, even when it conflicts with our culture, even when it feels like we're swimming upstream. We need to know the Word so that God would sharpen us so that we can be obedient to Him. We need to be seeing the Word and seeing how it calls us to repent of our sexual sin, to be generous with our time and money, to be quick to forgive others and to ask for forgiveness when we've offended each other. However, it's not our obedience that saves us. As Paul says in Romans 3, that no one is righteous, not even one of us. The most strident attempt for obedience will come up short. Nehemiah 8 has this beautiful moment of response, repentance, and it seems like it's restoration with the Creator. And yet, as we keep reading, spoiler alert, in Nehemiah, uh, there's sin, there's brokenness, and they ultimately fall up short. As uh, the Baileys said, it's complex, it's a mess. Uh, it's, not, uh, it's not all happy ending. Uh, we see the people of God stuff up. It's not our obedience that saves us, but we trust in one who was obedient. In 2 Corinthians 5, 21, Paul says this, For our sake he made him, that's Jesus, to be sin, who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus knew no sin. He was tried and tested, tempted in every way as we were, yet his obedience kept coming through. He kept denying himself the pleasures, the indulgences, the sin, the sin that this world had to offer and said no to that. He chose obedience even to the point of death, death on the cross. He faced trials. He faced betrayal. He faced faced desertion, despair, public humiliation. And yet on the cross, the perfect sacrifice was his life, the perfect sin offering in our place. Our debt is deleted. Our guilt is gone. Our freedom is found We study the Word so that we can see this message. We can see who God is. It should fill our minds, but also our hearts with joy. The Word brings us to obedience in response to what God has already done. As I invite the band up, let me pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your word. We thank you that you have spoken to us through your son. Lord, I pray that we may be a choice a church that chooses to wrestle and understand the deep truths of your word. But may our hearts be joyful in response to what you have done. And Lord, I pray that we would obey not because we have to, but because we get to, out of delight in response to what you have done on the cross. We pray that we would do this collectively, not trying to fight the battle by ourselves, but leaning on each other as brothers and sisters, under your, your leadership and your lordship, with the power of the Holy Spirit, in Jesus' name and all of God's people said, Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to know more about our church,